Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. So Ian Hicksey, we ended the last episode with Hardcore in a perilous state. And before we get to how you helped to save that, and that, I think that's a, a reasonable summarization of uh, of the scene. Let's pick up on that again now. You, you kicked off the new millennium in the sanctuary at the Helter Skelter Millennium Jam. It was right, widely regarded as, uh, as a disaster. Poor ticket sales, meaning that DJs were cancelled, rooms were closed. Perhaps as a result, it was the last solo event that Helter Skelter ever did. What are your memories of that night and what went so wrong? Um, I, I think in general, like leading up to it, everyone, whether you was a, a you know in the rave scene, going to a rave, going to a family party, going to the pubs, wherever, there was just this massive, like sort of, oh, it's it's this millennium thing. It's going to be massive. You know, something magical is going to happen. Um, and personally, you know, the ticket prices everywhere, from like I said, from pubs, clubs raves events were just insane and whilst um i think dave um with the house scout stuff the the little packages that, that they were getting together for people within the ticket price was amazing um but it i think it felt eye-watering to some people from one ticket price to this just because it was now this 2000 thing um you know the the thought of shelling that out on an evening, I think, just made some people go, ah, do you know what? There's a house party going on. And it's always, this has always been the difficult thing with New Year's Eve. I think since 2000 is it made everyone go, I'm not paying double bubble to go into an event that I can go into in December, you know, all the way throughout the year. What's the difference? Mm. You know, and I, and I think the millennium started that vibe because prior to that, it was always just like New Year's Eve, yeah, let's go. And the I suppose the double bubble of the ticket price and things people could deal with, but up the millennium it, it trebled and quadrupled in some. Was way. that was that was that not driven by partly by obviously market values, but that market values mean that DJs up their prices too. From my my point of view, I didn't go crazy i did my normal new year's eve uh, at the time of double bubble was the normal the normal right. sort of deal um and you know even that i know that put some people's noses out of joint that the right. ticket prices had gone quadruple in some some events or wherever but the wages hadn't um and that that goes down to event staff to production to everyone there was people grumbling um and i think the whole thing just did that Anyway, I can remember turning up at the event. I was uh, excited because obviously it was what it was. Um, but my heart just sank because it hadn't lived up to that expectation of what it should have been and, and needed to be. Um, and it was, whilst I enjoyed my set, um, the, from my point of view, looking out and doing what I did, still hairs up on my arms. It was pretty amazing. But speaking to the, the, the organisers, it was just 
soul destroying for them because they had it wasn't like they had gone oh let's just rip everyone off and go crazy you know them doing it he was sort of telling me again about the production staff had done this this and this and this had happened and happened so the cost for them the venue hire absolutely everything involved in it had tripled quadrupled so the whole thing just just couldn't sort of sustain itself as a as a success because it didn't balance up was it anything to do with hardcore that, or was it merely purely prices in your in, in your I, eyes? I I honestly don't think it was to do with the state of the scene. I I, I there was we had started a, a very slight. I think just pre uh, two thousand, I'd seen a very positive change in my bookings, the events, and stuff happening. You know, the releases were starting to sort of do well again. Um, so I personally wouldn't put it down to the, the music. I just think it was everything. I think some people just went, I'm not going out of them prices. People were organising house parties. Um, you know, when you've got a, your local pub trying to charge 100 quid to go down there, you know something's going on in people's heads that ain't true. And then that was the yeah. thing. I think people had all of a sudden thought, well, this is the normal. If they're charging that, we can charge right. that. And I think it was just a bit of everything. In terms of the, the the whole maelstrom that was happening, and 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 you might say that that Millennium Jam was slightly part to do with that, but it was the the, the death of the scene. You saw a little bit of of um, new ideas coming through at that point, and actually, that's when I got into raving in two thousand. Weirdly, when it was really stagnant, it was you know bottom room at Bagley's at United Dance in the sweat box. It, you know, it was pretty dismal, but I loved it. I loved the vibe, but. What I liked was a lot of the people perhaps who'd been making a lot of the crap had gone. And and actually there was the people, because there was no money in it. And so it went back to those sort of hobbyists and, you know, a few select people. And I include yourself in that who were, were creating it as a job and loved it. But you created a new sound around about them, which was the Raver Baby sound. It was that sort of, try it came out of a trance. Was that Was that something you would have done anyway? Or was that driven by the nadir that the scene found itself in? No, it just, again, it wasn't a deliberate, uh, this is going to do this. It was, and it started, the, the real early e evolution of it was the trance stuff that was coming out. And me and, um, I've spoke about this a couple of times, me and Jason Holloway, UFO, we was driving to, I was doing a, a gig, wherever, I can't remember, and Veracocha came on the radio. And I, I swear, and, and Pete Tong was playing it, and he only played a little. No, it might have been Dave Pierce actually. It's either Dave Pierce or Pete Tong. Now they played the tiniest bloody snippet of this record, and it was literally the melody, and it kicked in, and then they cut it out to something else. Me and Jason just looked at each other, going, "What was that? What was that?" Now there were massive trance shoes prior to that that were already heavily influencing my head. You know, me and Jason have been talking about it so much, and. We'd already started on a few tunes that we said, look, we love the hard house stuff that was coming. You know, Tidy Tracks, they were just on fire. And they would—they seemed to just have this sort of sounds that, um, I don't know, it appealed to me. You know, the, the BPM, not as much, you know, because my head was still definitely on wanted things a bit more hectic and a bit more manic. Um, but the, the... Not too the, manic. Remember the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, the secret meeting, the secret, meeting, <laughs> uh, the um, you know, and and we had so many car journeys together. Me, me and Jace travelled the bloody country, left, right, and centre um, back then. Well, again, I was 
van. So Jace was helping me out, driving me as well, which was brilliant because we was working together. Um, so it was nice to have company, but also I, I couldn't drive. So uh, we had long, long conversations and it wasn't a deliberate thing. We didn't sit there and go, right. Uh, it, just, it just happened. We went in the studio. And again, it, this harks back to that bonkers that we just went, well, you know, let's, we lowered the BPM by a lot, a lot, a lot, which pissed some people off. But it gave us that sort of exp- experimental sort of time to, uh, when you're when you're producing stuff, if you do it at a certain BPM and use these style of riffs, it didn't sound great. It sounded, if anything, worse than what we had been doing with the sort of more happy Harkle sound. So we slowed the BPM down to get these trance melodies, sort of that, that vibe. And, you know, it worked. We were sort of like doing stuff and we were looking at each other going, well, it's not trance. It's not hardcore. It's not trancecore. It, it just was us making music that we liked. It's and UK we, hardcore. Yeah. And we made, and and we the, made the name changed, right? You, 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 that must have been as around about that time. There was a sort yeah. of, you, you felt that happy hardcore was a, had a bad reputation as a name. Did you, was that then deliberate as well? You're like, right, I'm making this new style of music. I'm going to call it something different so so we can put that in a box and uh, try and move yeah, beyond I, that. I don't know where the name UK Hardcore come from, actually, now you've just said that. I don't even know when it came about. There was there was a feud. We tried 4Beat along the way where everyone was like, yeah, call it 4Beat. Uh, yeah, that was one of them ones. Uh, what else was there? No, 4Beat. There was 4Beat and then UK Hardcore. Or just Hardcore. Everyone's saying, just call it Hardcore. Just call it Hardcore. But then you got the problem was, then you had people who would say into their, what I would say would be Gabba, would go, no, Gabba's bloody Hardcore. And But, yeah, my argument is Hardcore's different for everywhere. In America, if you say Hardcore, it might mean heavy metal guitar mm. music. You mm. know, it's, it's one of those. Um, but, yeah, that, that early, that was pre-2000 when we started really mucking around with the trance stuff. And it was just after 2000 where... Well, the November 2000 Slam of Honor, we've got a question yeah. on this from Leon Horsfield on Facebook. He says, I'd love to hear the full details of the build-up to that November 2000 Slam of Vinyl, the making and the cutting of all those brand new dubs as the gamble that paid off. How planned was it? And was it, he says, the last chance saloon for you? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it was the last chance saloon. It, again, it was just that next progression because I'd done loads of slow stuff. We'd done B tracks i think it was called a, a label which you know had all the stuff we put on the bonkers which were ranging in bpms from the slower end to the faster end but the reaction we were getting with the the faster stuff again that was touching up 165 170 was the, the positive look this is getting a great reaction on the dance one because i was predominantly playing in raves still with people wanting it fast um that obviously was going to get the better reaction so the next batch of stuff um, the Raver Baby label, uh, there's no genius where I've got the name from. It's from an old, old techno record that was massive. It's got the dial of gold on the Raver Baby. Um, I just thought Raver Baby, what a bloody brilliant name! And that's where that came from. The imagery of it, um, the guy I was partners with in Adrenaline when we were doing the promotions and at the record shop, um, he's a graphic designer, brilliant graphic designer. And we just sat there and I said, I want to baby but i don't want it to be a baby as such i want it to have something cool and he clicked on we had this render of like a the what was the baby but it had skin on it when he clicked on it on the um i imagine it'd be like a photoshop artwork whatever artwork thing it was it turned into that grid 
And I was like, that. I was like, that. And he was like, but no. And I was like, no, can you not screenshot that, like, like that? Take a photo of that. And he was like, well, yeah, I suppose so. And that, that was where the sort of baby came from of it. And we just got a bunch of tracks together. I mean, UFO had worked on a few things uh, that, that I knew were more right. This is this is this can be Raver Baby. Um, I'd done a few sort of solo Hixie projects um, that I knew were more on that tip, and it it was almost like a bit of an amalgamation of everything. You know, it was like there were elements of the happy hardcore stuff I loved. There was elements of the trance stuff I loved. Uh, there was that sort of recognisable tracks that we tried to rip off and bootleg and do something that you, the first time you heard it, you'd go, oh, it's this, but different. Um, and yeah, leading up to it, I uh, went to get my dub plates cut and I was sat in the room and you get to him, when you go into the, the cutting rooms of dub plates, they're quite big studios, but they've got the best monitors ever they can crank it right up because you're all where i used to go in in at this point i was going to a place called heathman's and they've almost got concrete walls that are that thick and door upon door upon door so you can turn it out as loud as you want so shane who was cutting them i was like whack this up mate i said and i just sort of sat there and i just thought yeah there's there's something about this i, I like it let's sort of see what happens and um leading up to it, it because with Slamming Vinyl, what had happened was they, they had almost said we, that we might not be able to put hardcore on. We it ain't going to run the, the days of the multi-genre that all the, the different rooms up at the sanctuary. We don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I remember getting a call about them doing the November one and we was, you know, on it. You know, it was going to be hardcore, one room, let's sort of see what, what, what the crack is. And I... I I knew that um, it was going to be a great place to sort of showcase where I wanted to go. Um, and, yeah, it, it was brilliant. I, I had um, I'd spoke to Storm quite a lot uh, leading up to it, just saying, look, I'm going to play some stuff, mate, that you've not heard. You've definitely not heard. It is pretty much a whole set of brand new sort of stuff. It's still, I think, within the, the, the realms of hardcore. Uh, let's see, and Charlie B and Wizkid started the set and then uh, a little way into it, Carl came on and he knew some of the truth, some of this, a version of that, version of that. And time it just to work, it seemed like it was going really well. Um, was that was just sort of the, the development of the, of the sound. It wasn't long after that. Uh, Darren Styles wasn't at the time making or had any plans really to sort of make much. Um, he'd been doing some trance stuff with 4C um, for a few labels and they seemed to be sort of in that direction. And um, I went up there, played him some bits and I said, listen, just listen to sort of this. This is sort of where I want to go. I said, I've took hard house influence, I've took trance influence. Um, and he, it sort of spurred him on. He did the the, the future set, the a track they did called Future Set. He, he played the riff. And I uh, was like, look, I've got this riff. I was like, mate, I was like, imagine that harkle speed. Imagine it. And he had organised, They were, he was going in with Breezy to muck around with some bits. And that was the beginnings of him doing it again and Breezy sort of doing it. And then it, it just felt like it was like almost like, well, here we sort of go, you know. It's, and it doesn't take long for um, 
I wouldn't say it was that it was the only reason, but you know, other artists then were excited about what they were hearing. So it felt like some of their stuff was sort of fitting within what I liked, you know, and it was back to that stage again where people were sending me stuff that I was just like, I need this. I need this track. I want this track. I want to play it out. I want to yeah, remix it. I want to do everything. This is just exciting again. And that whole uh, era for me was, again, it felt like that re early 93, 94 period where it just felt completely different but still within this vein of just something that I loved and you're starting to see crowds coming back as well at that point yeah yeah they're a hundred percent I mean that that was happening anyway that was definitely happening anyway that one at Slam and vinyl November uh where you know we we were all sort of like oh this don't work you know this is this is definitely gonna be serious for for you know what I classed as the scene I was heavily and your in. job yeah yeah um, but the numbers were brilliant. You know, the numbers were great. They were buzzing. We were all buzzing. Um, and, yeah, I just think that was – it was an era that just prior to that where it was just a big wobble. It were, and, You know, and luckily I think some of the music did need to change and evolve because the, the, the crowds didn't, didn't seem to enjoy it as much. So it needed that evolution. And whatever direction people then went in, it did seem to help because everyone was doing it. You know, you got – you know, even the, the, the buff of what was trance call with Kevin, the free formation sound with Sharky, you know, it was all of that again. Scott Brown, had all this is the thing, even back then, Scott Brown, solid. Like, he absolutely smashed things right the way through. And he was one of them artists that just stayed current, you know, his sound. And that was a massive influence as well. As much as the trance stuff was, Scott Brown was doing tunes that all the DJs wanted his kick drum for a bloody start and his melodies and the vocals he either got done or you know he found somewhere and and done boots of or covers of they were magic you know it was just like oh so you know his influence for me was massive because his his stuff around 98 99 leading up to 2000 was the best you know he were you were you talking to, to people like scott brown about it i mean you know i know that you say that you you know you were chatting to various people all over were you talking to scott about look this is a pretty critical time actually for us i love what you're doing i'm trying to do something else were, were you collaborating in any way in terms of um, not necessarily on a track but in terms of like on a a wider scene um no probably not really i mean me and scott are good friends you know we we speak quite a lot and back then we did speak a lot but he probably wasn't one that I really spoke to a lot about it. It was just his music was just awesome. You know, it really insanely ahead of its time around a period where I didn't like much at all, you know, and, and I put Scott up there as probably one artist that kept my interest alive. You know, my sets were dominated by his stuff. Same as other DJs. You know, I listened back to tapes back then and, you know, it was a bit different back then because you, you the, even though you did have the rules where you'd stay clear of some people's tracks if they were on the same lineups, it wasn't as sort of like strongly written as it is nowadays. So, you know, you would hear a lot of Scott stuff played throughout the night. You know, you, you really would. And, and it was his music definitely, I think, helped keep people interested and moving forward and develop even developing their sound because I, I had conversations it's like the force of styles sound and styles sound 
there I've had so many conversations with people with the how, and it's like, how do they get their kick drums? Where's their snare drums from? Their hi hats from? What's that off they're using? You know, and it's Scott's one of those. Scott is one of those characters that I've had numerous conversations with um, producers, DJs, where they're like, how's he done that? How has he done that? And, you know, like I said, Force and Styles at the time, when they worked together, it was the same. Where are they getting their drums from? Where are they getting that noise from? What's happening? And then now with Stylesy, it's like, mate, what's going on? What are you doing? Um, so, yeah, Scott, Scott was one of those also that definitely in that era influenced me massively to... I don't know. Not not to. I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh, I've got a copy of Scott," but I wanted something that I would play, you know. And I was playing Scott stuff, and I, and I didn't even want to play my own stuff. I was just sitting there thinking, "Oh, this is." And I did think, I I didn't think it was the end for me as a DJ. I just thought this is the end of me doing this. I'm going to disappear and. I'm just going to put my mind to other music. And... Well, it, it, that, that's a question I've got here from Robert Monks. He's on Facebook. He sends you a nice compliment with a question. He, he says he's a massive Pixie fan. He used to love you dropping hard trance midway through your sets and slotting in a cheeky bit of gabber at the end. He says, were you ever tempted to go down the hard trance route full time when the scene was uh, at its weakest? Oh, massively. The, the hard trance <laughs> stuff, honestly. The hard, still now, recently, um, Thumper, who's uh, one of the administrators on the House Scout Forum, he sent me just some bits and bobs that he's acquired over the years. And it made me, uh, well, I disappeared into, I've got my records are in various lofts around uh, family members. And I went and dug out some of mine and, and recorded some bits and bobs and went on the hunt, again, on bloody discographies and uh, uh, found some stuff on Discogs that I've ordered. And yeah, I don't know what it was, but just the energy in in that music for me. And the hard thing was the BPM difference was massive. So I, well, I would play it on 45 minus eight to get it in my set. I loved it that much. I'd, I'd be playing this stuff. You know, sometimes weirdly when I hear it at the right BPM now, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Because I'm so used to hearing it on 45 minus eight. But yeah, there was points that I, I nearly I wouldn't say I did go on oh, gonna do this, but it was there was that era that I just thought I've got to not just evolve a little bit in my sound, I've got to completely change because I don't I don't like it anymore. And I, and I didn't. I didn't uh I still enjoy DJing out because you always still got that sort of reaction that, that you need oh, something bloody flying around in it. Um that you need as a DJ that feedback you get, it drives you sort of like to keep going. So my DJ and I still always enjoyed, but I'd get to certain points and I'd be thinking, I don't want to play this record. I really don't want to play this record. And that's never happened to me. You know, that never happened to me because if I generally, if I didn't like something, there'd be something that, that, you know, I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't like this record. It'd be like, well, that's not part of my set. And I'd have other choices where we was at this stage where I generally couldn't find enough music that I liked or I wanted to play out. Well, thank God for Raver Baby then, because uh, it ended up with loads of records that you could play out. And uh, and and actually, it did give that scene a kickstart. You relaunched Bonkers, which I, I would presume is to do with the success of Raver Baby at the time. You finally did get on Radio 1, uh, you know, after after all the knocking on the doors in the uh, unsuccessfully previously to that. And uh, it saw you have a mix aired on Radio 1 by the legendary John Peel. How big a deal was that in the end did it live up to your expectations of uh when you didn't get it back in the 90s um it did yeah it, you know and that, <laughs> that, that whole thing jo john peel you know he's missed 
just unbelievably because he was one of them people that generally the only way I did, I don't know this for definite. You know, the only way I can describe him is he didn't give a shit if he liked something and thought it was good. He would just play it. You know, and again, I I, I regularly not enough people like that are there really no, in in no. mainstream me yeah. media. Yeah, where they just they don't play off a playlist. They just play what they like. You know, and the amounts of times I'd hear his show and he'd be playing records again on the wrong speed and then go, well, actually, I quite liked it like that. That sounds great like that. And you'd be like, this is just amazing. And that sort of came about, uh, it came about through React. And, well, it might have been Resist at the time, that which was React. Um, but they rang and just said, look, he's he'd been playing some of my stuff, um, as he always does. And um, I, th I think it came about because there was going to be the John Peel is not enough stuff, which was happening as like this big sort of collection of people. And they wanted a DJ to put on the night before to help promote that show as well. And they just said, do you want to do it? And I was just like, well, yeah. And again, when it actually went out, I was driving to a gig um, with uh, Jason UFO. We was on our way to a show. And it, I, I was just like sat in the passenger seat, like, my God, John Peel. And at the end of it, he said, it was along the lines of, that's one of the best things I've ever had on a sh on one of my shows. And for wow. me, that was like, like, like that, that was it. Do you know what I mean? That was like so cool. It, it, it just excited me more than anything because, you know, it's, well, it was John Peel. He'd been around for years. He's had, many different things and styles on his show and it almost made me i don't know just feel oh the music you know what i love he's actually listened to it and just gone this is bloody brilliant because that's what i've always said to people put hardcore or rave music on uh happy hard or whatever you know the people call it now put it into the right setting for people to listen to and that most of them will go god yeah, let's have you know, let's have a let's have a mad bunch, you know, let's go, let's let's sort of go for it, and that at that point just sort of felt like that moment for me that you got that sort of like tick of approval from someone who's just like, yeah, I love a bit of all sorts, and this fits in, and I love it. It's great. Well, it's a good job you weren't in the uh, car yeah. with vibes. It's a good job you weren't in the car with vibes because apparently he uh, never listens to rave. He refuses to. It's talk sport only. So you wouldn't have had that moment. So it was a good job you were with UFO and not vibes in the car. Uh, um, you also through that period too with LBC and talk sport as well. Trust me, I think I think a lot of DJs did actually and, and MCs. You'd get to a gig and you'd be like. Let's talk sport tonight. It'd be like, oh, wow, talk radio it was for a long time before talk sport. And it'd be like, yeah, all right. And you'd end up having a, a mad one about whatever <laughs> they were talking about. <laughs> We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. 
We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the act. On Friday the 20th of August 2021, a new event, Return to Source, celebrating 90s rave, hardcore, jungle, happy hardcore, drum and bass and techno. Touch us down at Suki 10C in Digbeth, Birmingham. We have Fusion South Coast legend DJ Druid, Quest and Fiber Optics DJ Fallout, the uprising northern legend that is DJ Paulo, and London Town's final trickster playing his first happy hardcore set in over 18 years. Tickets are priced at only £14. Just search Facebook and Eventbrite for Return to Source Rave. So you're also a, a, a promoter as well. You became one into the 2000s very successfully. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you're sort of looking like, I don't know, you're like you're about to again hide your light under a bushel, but it was successful. You know, you, you're HDI, you, you did Raver Baby events and then you did HTID, uh, I think 10 months down the line, sort of weirdly be- becoming one of your own main competitors. But, but can you tell me how your move into promoting came about and why you decided that was the thing to do? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd promoted a little bit on in uh, Salisbury. We had an event at Adrenaline at a club called Enzo's, and I loved it. I loved the fact I could, um, you know, just put on DJs and MCs and watch that reaction and see the night and, th- and things like that. And, you know, sometimes uh, even then I learned it's painful. You know, sometimes you'd walk away with a little bit of a profit, but most of the time you walked away just going, oh, bollocks you know it's just not great you know so that side of it was I suppose off-putting but the side that kept you going was that just putting on events and seeing you know people walking through the door excited about the lineups you had put together um and I had the the Harkle Till I Die one was actually Enzo's in Salisbury it wasn't um up with at this point Mark Lambert and I put it on and I wanted it because of sort of what we were doing with Rover Baby. We gave away glow sticks, whistles and horns for everyone that walked through the door. Um, and, yeah, it was cool. We, we uh, I sort of said to all the DJs that we had booked, look, I'm going to get hotels as well. I want it to, you know, so everyone stays and is hanging around. I want it to just be this whole sort of thing. And, yeah, it worked. It was it was brilliant. It was such a good thing. We brought extra sound into the club, which the gut that I'd, the guy who owned the club, I got to know really well. And he was just like, what are you doing? Because it was part of a hotel. Enzo's was part of a hotel. And this rig, when it turned out his face, he was just like, "What? why are you putting that in my club? And I was like, because I want it crystal clear and loud, mate. I said, oh, I absolutely want this to slam. And he was like, oh, God. Um, and then after that, um, Mark Lambert had uh, done some bits with, Dave Prattley, How Scouter, called Human Traffic, which was an offshoot of How Scouter, but it was going to be for hardcore, and they were doing it at 
uh, God's Kitchen in Birmingham. And I don't know how it came about me and Mark chatting, um, but we'd done the human traffic, <coughs> and which had gone really well. And uh, we was obviously just talking about, you know, moving things forward. And um, he was talking about doing hardcore events for himself, not with, not under the guise of human traffic. And I was like, well, I've got this brand, Hardcore Till I Die. I said, I've got a bit of an idea for it. Um, I want it to have a kickoff point where, you know, I said, I don't want any lights or anything happening prior to a certain point. I want a theme sort of like introduction to the night. Uh, and then I said, I've got this idea of morning, like a morning glory. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, predominantly last sets are known as graveyard shifts or not the best because people seem to sort of disappear. So I said, well, what about this sort of concept where we make something of the last set? You make that the anthem hour. You, you say that this is out and out anthems. You know, there is going to be nothing but hark back to whatever. So he was like, oh, okay, yeah, come on then, let's get some ideas together. Well, is it that time? i got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, no offence, only joking. <laughs> and, um, we, um, we just sort of started like, banging heads together, got the line-up together, knew, um, you know, the, 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 the idea also has always been when, I, when I've done the line-ups, was I w always wanted to make sure that do not matter what sort of flavour you're in, whether you're yin or yang, that there would be someone somewhere in that club for you to go and dance to. And I always try to do it so, yeah, you had that, where you'd have a group of friends that say you're into one one DJ and MC that would probably all rave together for that one. But then throughout the rest of the night, they might disappear for the odd hour here and there. And I always used to try and do the lineups and think, right, I'm that person who's into that DJ and that MC, so where am I going to go after this act? And I and it, you know, I probably overthought it to be honest with you. And probably some people had never made no difference, but I did try and do HDIDs like that because I had the beauty of HDID Air. We had three floors of rooms, and then sometimes even the car park. So I had four rooms to almost play with and try and dictate where I thought you're yeah, right. It, you know, I want that person to sort of venture upstairs now, rather than always being in that middle room. I'd love them to go upstairs, see that room, different environment, different sort of crowd around them. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those things that just sort of progressed from there. We, we did the first one and, you know, turning up to sort of start the setup out and seeing people outside three hours before we opened the door blew my mind, you know. And then as we came to opening the doors, knowing the queue was around the club, um was insanely brilliant you know you, you really got excited by it and I, I i can remember pre kickoff i used to love you know some of the hard house djs and i remember one of the first times we booked cali gage and the guy who managed her sort of said look i don't want her on first you know come on mate can we not try and get her on later in the night first not great is it you know no one's going to be in the club and i was like trust me i said you've just got to trust me that within i promise five minutes that room will be packed and he was like oh, no, no. anyway so they've turned up i was at the door waiting for him uh he's walked in going oh my god because this again this queue was and not only did it queue that way we always had the coaches queued the other way so we had queues like that round there 
And he came in with Callie, and I'd met Callie loads of times prior. She was buzzing. She was, you know, a normal, happy self. And he sort of stood there, and he was like, how quickly are you get him in? And I went, watch. I said, watch. She's put the first record on, the doors have opened, and they run. And, I mean, they used to run into that downstairs floor, and it was it was on. It wasn't like running in or walking in and just stood there nodding your head. It was running in, and people like like that at the front. And he was just like, I, I can't believe what I'm watching. And I was like, I can't really, but this is, <laughs> this is, you know, we're a few in now. So I'm used to seeing what's sort of happening. And again, what did, you put, what did you put that down to? Just t- the timing of everything, the the, the success of, um, you know, even HGRD, I think it balanced up with the success of the Clubland Extreme albums and vice versa. The, the, the opening that the Clubland Extreme albums gave us paid off then into the event because you had people that loved Clubland. Clubland was a massive, successful brand. You know, the success of people like Cascada and stuff like that on there um, was, you know, massive. But some of their big tracks on All Around the World and Clubland were ex-Harkle tracks covered. So it was a sort of like, you know, there was all them links everywhere. And us doing the extreme versions again made people that probably had never heard of Harkle, Rave or anything harder but they had heard of, again, Entrance and Cascada and Flip and Feel and Ultra B and all of them. They were picking up these albums going, well, Extreme, that's got to be better. Everything's better Extreme, isn't it? You pick up something, you go, well, that's got Extreme on it. That's better than the normal one. And I think that happened. And just People are so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> human psychology. The humans yeah, are mad, aren't they, really? Yeah, it's true. That, it. and, I, and I think people... By the way, we're about to launch Raw Extreme. Uh, for anyone out there, uh, I'm, I'm not really. That's just a joke. Uh, carry yeah. on. Sorry. But you know, I, and I do, and I think that was people picked out the album not by a mistake as such, but they bought into that concept of oh, extreme. It's bigger, it's better, it's faster, it's you know whatever it is, and that then led them coming into them clubs. And mm-hmm. once they got into the clubs, they I, I love a variety of music, but I I've been to events and there is nothing like. A hardcore crowd going off. There's nothing, there is nothing like that. I know I'm going to say that. 100%, mate. Huh? 100%. 100%. I, I tried explaining this uh, in the interview that I did with Ribs. So that, so I'm a, I'm a, I got into happy hardcore, and now I would say I'm more of a, I'm probably into jungle, jungle techno, I would say now, because I've sort of developed and explored. But you cannot be, as you say, and, and it's difficult to explain unless you've yeah. been there and you've been involved in it yeah. and you've felt it and you and and, and there's a sort of coming together of all those people and the energy that is created to a certain sound and it's that four beat for me. Mm. It's difficult to explain. I, yeah. I can't explain, but it, but it does exist. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I, I've been to other concerts and raves, and you know, I've been at, at all sorts. And I'm standing there and whilst I'm enjoying it, but then I just think. This ain't quite got that, and then that, and that's where I think it's so unique and been so good for me over all the years. Is that you know that from it's missed you know the whistles and horns from back then, but back then some events the whistles and horns out drowned the music. You know <laughs> it was that loud that you would stand there and go, "Well, my monitors now need to be about twenty times louder because." that and it was it was weird to explain to people you'd hear it on the old tape packs but it was a continual 
noise. And it was just this noise. And it, but it was continual. It didn't, like, stop. It just was constant, this whistle and horn noise. And, yeah, that sort of missed. But then the atmospheres change. But, again, the hardcore sort of raves, you'd stand there and just go... And, and you know, countless times, other DJs and MCs would be on before me and my jaw would hit the floor because I'd watch that reaction and just go... This is what keeps my head going because that's mm. that's it. That's mm. that's the ticket there. Must be a huge. It must be a huge buzz. Uh, by the way, I've got this question. I know you love it. Um, a lot of viewers have got in touch to ask the very same question about the Raver Baby uh, and the back catalogue. Uh, the, the, the the question is, I know you love it, so let, here it comes. Uh, when are you finally going to release the full digital collection in the Raver Baby and Jelly Baby back catalogues? Right, I do it, and uh, trust me, I've where I've been trying to search some tracks digitally, I get just as pissed off, and I know I'm one of the worst. Some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff, has been uh, under a very heavy contract with a major record label. Some of it has been cleared, and some of it is getting sorted. It is something that I keep saying, "Yeah, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. We are doing it, one hundred percent. We are doing it." It will be soon. It will be not. How soon is soon? You've had a year. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But, um, you know, I, it is going to happen um, relatively soon, I suppose. is the easiest way to say it. I'm still. The contracts are, are, are one of those things. At the time, you sign things and everything's great. But then in the, the age of now, digital's come along. Um, you, you sometimes don't realise that there's a lot more stuff you've got to go through before you can clear everything. And there is no point for me. I, I've had two things I've got to get over. Not putting stuff out on vinyl changed so much for me as an artist, as a record label owner, because I almost felt like, and it's not like I'm saying, oh, my music's worth money. It was almost like that physical thing having something physical, it, it felt, it means something. Do you know what I mean? It felt like people were buying something and they were like, there's this record, brilliant, I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it backwards, I'm going to play it the other side. Whereas with digital, it almost feels like throwaway. And and for me, I just thought, oh, and I didn't, I still struggle with it now. You know, I still struggle with it now. I don't, some of the stuff I've bought digitally of the older stuff, I don't, it's not that I don't like it now, but it's not as worth as much as I, with my record collection. You know, my record collection really feels like something and it's not a monetary value for me. It's just that. And I, I knew I had to go over it because, you know, there, there's people into the music nowadays who want it that probably wouldn't know what a record was or they do, but they wouldn't understand that they've been brought up in an iPod era and they click on a button and their record plays or their music plays so i knew i had to get over it, it was my problem so that's definitely put the, the the halts on things however because now there's better ways to release the, the stuff digitally um and get it out there it is going to happen it definitely is going to happen universal have been been uh, since uh, all around the world got acquired by properly by Universal, and luckily for me, some of the people that from all around the world then went to Universal full time, so it opened up a really easy uh, communication pool for me and them. Um, and then the boys from all around the world have started a new label called Exploded, 
and they've been brilliant. They've 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 been helping out loads to yeah, just try and clear things up. We've got the Force of Styles catalogue coming soon as well, because that's another one that people nag me. <laughs> me and Dougal are talking about the Essential Platinum catalogue because it is something that I know's gotta be done. But also it's oh, money. There's money for you. Yeah, but it's not it's not necessarily that. Do you know what I mean? I know it just pisses people off and I know they get frustrated because like I said, I've tried to source some stuff when I can't get it and it irritates me that it's not out there. So I know how they feel, but it will be done. It will be done. It will be. And there's some some old bits. Yeah, they, they, it will be done. Well, look, there you go. There's a promise from Hicksy. It's an exclusive. It's going to happen. He just can't say when. This is it. This is what they can say. He's promised it before the fucking prick. Yeah, but it's gone record oh, now. And it's in, and it's it's in the... It's different now. Of, of the, the contract side of things has been really complicated. Even like, I, I, I quite like law contracts and all that stuff is something i've always enjoyed but yeah doing stuff that was written for a non-digital age that is now in a digital age is very hard to not unpick but because it's not being difficult but it needs to be legally done properly well there you go you've got a promise from hicksie that he's going to release all those things and it's now on record in the national uh in the british library so you now have no choice i'm afraid that is a that's it for another episode of raw and if you like what you've heard we'd love you to get involved all of us here at raw hq buzz hard of how much you the raw crew enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch but we're now a team of five putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages we've got loads of plans to go further expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing so we could really use your help to keep raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi. Rawr, rawr, rawr.